Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing Those Fishes podcast, episode 339. I know it's uh, been a little bit of time uh, in between episodes. I've just been uh, kind of getting settled and uh, got, had some other stuff to attend to. So appreciate you guys uh, coming back after uh, a week or two off there. So um, this week we have Jade Nectar with us. Thanks a lot for joining us. Good to be here. Cool. <laughs> Turn off the volume on my phone like a dumbass. Um, how are you doing, Wes? Oh, you're muted. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Uh, doing well. Doing well. Everything is going great up here up north. Um, yeah, hope you guys are well as well. Big up to everybody in chat. Yeah. Shout out to everybody in chat as well. All righty. Um, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, this week there, uh, Jeff, um, you have a, a pretty awesome uh, grow and a bunch of really awesome projects that you've been working on. I've been following your work for quite a long time and uh, kind of uh, been playing tag to, to get you on the show. And it was nice to kind of uh, to sync up with you this week and finally get you on. Um, you do a lot of really cool work with THTV and land raised strains. If you guys aren't familiar with his work, check him out on Jade Nectar on um, Instagram. Uh, or uh, jadenectar.com, J-A-D-E-N-E-C-T-A-A-R-T.com. So tell us about yourself and, and about your, your work. You uh, have a, a quite an amazing uh, farm there with uh, quite a large variety of different uh, cultivars from around the world. Um, thanks a yeah. lot for joining us. Yeah, well, uh, our place is in uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains which has Santa Cruz Mountains just has a long history of psychedelic and cannabis history and lore. Uh, people aren't familiar, actually, the very original um, electric Kool-Aid acid test actually took place in, Cal in Santa Cruz Mountains, actually about five minutes away from where I'm sitting right here. Um, uh, so it was like the prototype uh acid test uh but the grateful dead did play there it was like a little house party. it was actually the first grateful dead at the time they were the warlocks uh but that happened um also uh sam skunk man uh had sacred seeds here in the 70s in uh, santa cruz mountains until he got sort of chased out of town by law and he took off to amsterdam uh, so that was cool stuff. And there's just always been a lot of really uh, cool sort of hippie cannabis psychedelic activity in these these hills. It's really there's it's like a vortex of just psychedelic activity. Um, but yeah, but what I'm working on. So um, I guess I first I've always enjoyed cannabis since high school days went to lots of Grateful Dead concerts after high school. Uh, just really uh, uh, loved that entire scene, but then I uh, kind of chilled out for a little bit on some of the cannabis stuff. I actually believe some of the propaganda that maybe I was actually frying my brain uh, by consuming cannabis. So I actually laid off it for a little while and then uh, about 15 years ago, I actually got really sick and then it found out that um, turns out I had Lyme disease. Uh, and I, by that time, it was a chronic 
considered chronic Lyme disease. So I was supposed to have Lyme disease for the rest of my life and just kind of limp to the finish line. I wasn't willing to accept that. Um, no conventional medicine was helping. So uh, my hippy dippy doctor, who actually was a doctor for Jerry, uh, Jerry Garcia at one point, um, he recommended that I get into cannabis again as, as medicine. And sure enough, I started uh, consuming a lot of cannabis and it relieved my symptoms. So then I started growing cannabis myself because cannabis laws had really changed here in Santa Cruz. This was around 2011. And uh, so I started growing it myself. And then I started eating the leaves while I was working with my plants. And I noticed that I really liked the, the effect that I was getting from uh, eating the leaves. But then I was like, man, should I be eating these? Is Could this be poisoning me? I better like Google it and make sure I'm allowed to, or uh, that I can eat the leaves safely. Uh, and then it turns out I came across a uh, Dr. Courtney, who is like the cannabis juicing guy who was really promoting that. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's not only semi-good for you, it's, it's really kind of this elixir for people with autoimmune diseases and Lyme disease. So I ended up uh, just drinking raw cannabis juice every day for like a year and a half. And I can't prove it scientifically, but I completely, I'm like free of Lyme disease now. And uh, before when I had really bad uh, Lyme, yeah, it was hard for me to even walk down to my mailbox and back uh, without getting winded. Now I can work. 12, 16 hour days, seven days a week, farming, just being really active. So I would consider myself completely um, cured. And that that's kind of unheard of when you have late stage chronic Lyme. Uh, so when that happened, it was one of these like, oh my God, I gotta like tell people about this. So I started sharing it with uh friends and you know i had a friend with chronic back pain and then someone else with migraines and stuff and i started making uh cannabis juice cubes frozen juice cubes for them and they started consuming those and they're like oh my god this works <laughs> i'm like i know it's amazing so uh fast forward then had a medical collective here in santa cruz and then uh prop 64 for folks not in california that's our that was our recreational legalization uh whatever you call it initiative or whatever you call it when the people vote on it and uh and then everything sure it's legal but it's been we've kind of been chasing our tail ever since then there's a lot of really messed up things with prop 64 it's kind of killed a lot of the spirit of the sort of hippie homesteader earth loving cannabis farmers, um, but I'm still trying to live that spirit. And uh, um, so what we're doing is one of our big things is we have a land race botanical garden. Uh, we took over an old uh, Boy Scout camp in Boulder Creek, which is a really, uh, for folks who don't know Boulder Creek, it's in the Santa Cruz mountains, but it's, it's like going in a time warp. Um, it's kind of a, unbelievable that Silicon Valley is right on the other side of the hill, but uh, Boulder Creek is like sort of like motorcycle gangs, lumberjacks, 
it's a little tweaky, uh, but it's like a really, it feels like some Rumpelstiltskin time warp thing going there, but there's just this beautiful, pristine redwood wilderness. Um, so anyway, we have a Boy Scout, ex-Boy Scout camp there that we're developing into a wellness uh, retreat center for cannabis and other psychedelic plants and fungi. And uh, and the kind of highlight right now is we're doing this land race botanical garden. So we have about 300 plants right now with about 50 different land race varieties going. And each year we do a different sort of region of the planet that we feature in this garden. And it's just, it's just so cool to see like Cambodian, Thai, Laos, um, we're doing a bunch of Iranian and old Pakistani. Um, let's see what else. And South, so we're doing a lot of Mexican, the old school Mexicans and some Colombians and Jamaican varieties this year. And yes, uh, yeah, just each one's so unique and cool. I mean, we do, we got a lot of herm. We've had like seven herms. Uh, it's kind of heartbreaking when you're big, huge, 10 foot, 12 foot tall, super healthy plants start shooting pollen sacks, but you, you just got to cut them down. It's part of the game. Um, but, but yeah. And what it always sucks too, because a lot of the land races, especially the Thai stuff, it'll be like week four, it'll start throwing male branches like randomly on the plant too, which is like, you know, something you don't quite see as much in the, the more stabilized stuff you might get some manners from stress but you don't see like a whole branch just suddenly be male which i've seen a lot more in the land race stuff yeah and and the thing is it's usually at the tippy top so and these are 12 foot tall plants so, so we have to get on orchard ladders and go inspect our tops and right now we're doing it like every three days we have to get up on the ladder and start going through all the branches and fine and sometimes it's just one stealth branch that's gone male uh, or perm or whatever you call it um so uh but so far uh, none of the pollen sacks have opened or anything so i think we're still good there it's not devastating if you know we get a little seed here and there but i'm also doing um trying to do uh, some seed uh increases with the plant so that that would be the tragic thing is if we get herm pollen flying around then all of a sudden you know that vietnam black that i'm trying to do a seed backup for all of a sudden those seeds become questionable <laughs> like maybe it's got some cambodian pollen <laughs> in there so um but yeah that's yeah, that's what we're working on. And then uh, the cool thing, how we've made it sort of economically viable, though, to be growing all these crazy strains that no dispensary would ever want to carry right now, because they're all like 12 to 15% THC, and they're airy and larvae and don't look anything like vanity modern weed. But um, we do a tincture company. Uh, that's our main thing, Jade Nectar, where these olive, we do olive oil infused uh, tinctures, like old school thousand year old technique. 
so we're able to take last year, for instance, we grew uh, a bunch of African varieties. So we had 15 different African varieties, uh, but we're able to take all that African uh, flower and some of it may not have, you know, even totally finished and everything. But when we throw it in the tincture, you're getting 15 different African varieties at different stages of flower. So the actual tincture is the most full spectrum, all you can eat buffet of different kinds of cannabinoids and terpenes and everything. And uh, yeah, like the African sativa tincture we have right now, it's, it's you're kind of consuming the entire continent of Africa in each drop of <laughs> this tincture. And it's, it's pretty trippy, trippy, racy, a lot of THCV in there too. Um, yeah, good stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna try turning on a light real quick because am I getting really dark here? No, you look fine. I mean, you're a little bit dark on the one side, but it's not a big deal. It's up to okay. you. Okay. Yeah, it may just be my video that's looking. I look like granular shadow guy. <laughs> no worries. Um how, what are some? What were some of the different traits that you found with the African stuff? I've known. Uh, I traveled a little bit around South Africa and Zimbabwe and uh, and on the border there, especially with Mozambique, uh, up in the oh. hills there, and uh, had a chance to travel around and and grow quite a bit of stuff there in Zim. Um, what were some of the cool things that you found? I really liked, especially up in Nyanga. They had some incredible uh, stuff that was super super high in uh, pinene. And it just smelled like like pine salt almost. And it, the, the high from it was just this like super amazing sativa high where you could like keep smoking it and you kind of just kept getting higher. There wasn't really like a ceiling with it, which I haven't had that kind of feeling in like so long. Yeah, and that's why, um, so a lot of the terps are that really, um, some people describe it as like carrot, that antiseptic, uh, sort of clean, real clean carrot and parsnip, uh, and a lot of uh, almost um, uh, parsley, like these bright herbal, savory herb uh, terps going on. So yeah, we grew a few South Africans. We did uh, Transkei, uh, uh, Drakensberg. We did uh, some real deal old school Durban, but unfortunately a rat uh, destroyed both of our Durbans for some reason. I guess the rat was really into Durban. It just took out those two plants. So we never got, um, but actually the Mozambique uh, was phenomenal. And um, so one, just growing the plant, just the look of them with those long lacy leaves they just look wild. Like they kind of have that vibe of like wildebeests and zebras and something just like wild Africa. They just have that vibe. Um, but then, uh, yeah, those terps and a lot of it's kind of, uh, it's like old school super silver haze, like Mr. Nice super silver haze kind of has that sort of frankincense, weird incense-y, hard to put your, it just smells like hazy 
uh, sativas and the African sativas just really, really have a lot of, a lot of them have that quality, but uh, also another one that stood out was the uh, Lesotho, um, which I was always calling it Lesotho because that's how it's spelled, but Lesotho, which it's kind of weird. I'm learning all this like world and geographic history through cannabis. Because once we start growing it, I'm like, wow, where is this place? Who are these people are growing it? And found out like Lesotho is a country that's totally encapsulated inside South Africa. Uh, but it's at super high elevation. And I guess that's why it never got conquered or whatever by South, uh, because the terrain was so um, challenging for uh, whoever to get up there. So anyway, so they have their own country within South Africa, but then they hold most of the water that then feeds South Africa. So that gives them some sort of leverage and keeps things in balance and everything. But um, but yeah, the Lesotho was probably the brightest, most like sagey, parsley, savory herb uh, I, I think I've ever smelled. But um, the bud structure itself, I mean, if you showed that to someone who's used to smoking, you know, like cookies or cake, or they would just like laugh at it. Like it doesn't even look like weed. It's just like this larfy, fluffy little wispy buds. But as soon as you fire it up, it's just, yeah, it's just a super clear, euphoric, creative high. But it's also, but you can really focus and, um, just very clear is is I think the the word, but um, like I play around with guitar and stuff like that, and just find myself like I can get into like trance mode and really really focus and uh, sort of innovate when in that mode. Um, so Lesotho was also uh, the uh, had the Congolese uh, Pointe Noir which was just amazing. Uh, the Mulanye, which is from Malawi, it's a region of Malawi. That was actually pretty dense buds, but I don't think they were uh, hybrids at all. It was just a totally unique bud structure. But um, the terps on those is like a sour cherry with like a caramel finish. Really, actually, I think I, oh, you know what? I think I have some of these jars. It's the secret. Let me turn on the light. See if I can get better lighting going here. All right. Is this even weirder? The lighting? It's <laughs> definitely different. It looks, it looks like a like a fifties photo that got like yeah. a little bit of sun exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like all my childhood photos, though. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know overexposed what? from like the seventies. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like there's a like a nuclear bomb is going off outside your window, kind of thing. <laughs> like a Fallout Three vibe. Is that any better? Yeah, you're still in Technicolor for some reason, but yes. 
I don't know what's going on. My this is probably <laughs> a pretty cool Dell laptop, but the camera is just weird on it. I don't know what's going on. Sorry about that. Oh, dude, it's fine. It's bothering you far more than it's bothering us. It's, it's okay. kind of funny. <laughs> trip out on my pixels. But anyway, here's the Lesotho. Let me, let me spotlight you here. Just, I don't know if you can okay. see. Oh, wow. Right. That's cool looking. Yeah, but it's just really. Very different structure. Here, yeah. And I wish we had like smeller vision, you know, on this so you could smell it. But just, um, yeah. So anyway, that's. Yeah, now it almost, yeah, it has a pine uh, and cedar thing going on with it now. Now that it's cured out, some of the, like the parsley kind of went away, and now it's like all pine and cedar. Um, and then, uh, and by the way, folks who are always chasing higher THC, I've just found instead of super crazy high THC, it's about a diverse head stash. So you can just mix it up with like 30 different varieties. Yeah. You can keep your stone nice and fresh and interesting all the time. And these, these are only like 15% THC, but yeah, they get you so crazy stone, but they spin off in totally different directions, you know, each one. But this is, this is the Melania. Uh, which is a Malawi very uh, region. Um, what does that smell like? Well, now it's getting. Yeah, it still has this like sweet cherry, but with like caramel, like this really interesting uh, like caramel finish. Um, but yeah, so those those were the the highlight. Yeah, I'm gonna turn this light back off because I can hear. I'm gonna have to. Um... No worries, it's all good. Is that any better? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, that really other one's fine. <laughs> I think it's better. I think it's better. To be honest with you, but all right, this has more of that dark. So anyway, it was never bad to begin with, anyways. But all right, dark man cave vibe going on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the Africans were definitely cool. This year got tons of Southeast Asian, like uh Laos, Burma, or Myanmar, uh, lots of Thai. Um, Cambodian, by the way, the Cambodians are looking amazing. I have three varieties from Cambodia. Um, oh, and I had one that hermed out really early and I kept it around at a different location just to see what happened because it was already starting to flower. And so those flowers are now uh, pretty far along and they just smell like you just opened a tangerine like just as you're peeling a tangerine it's like the sweetest brightest citrus tangerine 
terp I've ever smelled. It's a, and it's it's elegant. It's not like cheap candy. It's just oh, this absolutely elegant, intoxicating tangerine thing going on. Um, so anyway, those those are exciting. But by the way, the the real big surprise uh, were Philippines uh, growing five different Philippine varieties. Um, there's one called uh, Lagitan, I believe. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, and I thought it was a village. Or something, but it turns out Lagitan means sticky. Um, but it probably has the most narrow sativa leaves I've ever seen. And uh, and it's already starting to flower. So may actually get them done by Thanksgiving. <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. Is there any... Um particularly unique traits that you found in any of the males um, with your last uh, couple of rounds, especially with any of the land race, sometimes they can be quite a bit different. Uh, yeah, they, uh, the sativa land race tend to just throw out very small little clusters of male flowers. None of this like Afghan giant swarms of male flowers you know that are um because i keep my males in a greenhouse so there's no wind and such so the um the indica flowers male flowers will just like dump all over the plant itself i mean like the leaves are covered in pollen and it's just like just dumping pollen all over itself all over the floor all <laughs> everything but uh these land race sativas these equatorial tropical sativas just very like each long branch may just have like 10 little male flowers on it um and i have seen i talked to another uh person um has been around southeast asia and africa as well and seen a lot of land race and he said some of these plants will live like four or five years and they'll just throw out, you know, at different times of year, they'll throw out one branch that's got uh, some female flowers and then they'll throw out another branch with some male pollen, holiday itself. It'll just kick out like 10 seeds and that will just go back into vegging. And it actually, they'll actually live like five years or longer just doing that so it's is that the um the reunion island one that you're talking about or just in general with equatorial oh the zamal yeah the zamal yeah i, I have uh, yeah i played all those. yeah that was a long time ago i played around with that and then um have you grown that at all Zimbabwe. Yeah, I grew around a bit in Zim because uh, I figured it was pretty similar latitude, but we didn't get any with the perennial traits. Oh, okay. Did it have a really like side branchy structure? Yeah, it was very like candelabra-y, very like, uh, reminded me a lot of like um, when I grew the island sweet skunk. It was very like horizontal candelabra with like little clusters of nugs. Uh, you know kind of vertically off of that yeah that's that's sounds because sometimes you don't 
know 100% exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what it had a really interesting, like horizontal sort of octopus <laughs> structure going on. And uh, I ended up crossing that with um, an Ethiopian plant. And uh, there's actually a video of it somewhere on our Instagram, but the branches on that cross were like rubber. Like you could just shake that plant violently with buds on it and not a, no chance of a branch breaking. And you could floss the branches up and down and everything. They were just like, it was like it was made out of rubber. It was, and then the buds, uh, when it uh, was pretty much the flowers were totally done, 95% of the leaves had fallen off. So it was just just solid buds on a branch and all the leaves were had just fallen on the ground. So it like it like de-leafed itself. And then we just hung the plant. We didn't even have to pull any leaves off it. It was actually, man, I want to grow that plant again. It was it was so cool. That's a great trait, man. That's a good, good one to stabilize. Oh yeah, like the unbreakable, like unbreakable branches. Yeah, that would be. We're by the way, we're dealing with that for some reason this year. We're getting a lot of wind. Uh, plus, we just had that hurricane that came up Southern California. So up in Santa Cruz, we did uh, get some. It was probably like twenty mile an hour wind gusts. Um, yeah, so when you have big, you know, 12 foot plants, luckily we didn't have flowers on, but we got just like two or three broken branches because, um, but yeah, that's a, a trait with the land race, especially is tend to be not self-supporting, but they're just a lot strong. You don't have to support every individual cola. You know, like some of these modern poly hybrids that are like so high maintenance. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we also, we do a, um, the way we tie our plants is we just take this organic hemp baking twine and we just kind of lasso around the plant. We have four stakes all around the plant and we just keep lassoing around it. And, uh, and then the plant sort of moves within and it's kind of like a self-supporting safety net. Um, so we've had pretty good success doing that. And, and we found the metal cage thing. Some people do the metal cage, but when you get high wind, because it's so rigid, you can actually snap branches on the metal cage. So, but yeah, it's, the eternal struggle trying to find out once you get big plants how to not lose your branches. <laughs> but I'd really good luck to kind of doing a hybrid of, of that, putting a couple of posts around it and then running kind of a twine ar around that. And then um off of that twine running like the like the basic netting. That's yeah. why the, the whole thing can kind of jiggle and wiggle just like you're saying. Nice. Have you found any netting that um, is not nylon? 
I, 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 um, I haven't found any that's not nylon, but I just cut the plants and reuse it. Like you can reuse that for years and years and years and years. And, you know, hey, if, then I don't feel so bad about it. Oh, okay. But there, there are cloth ones. I know one of the places I was at where they had cloth, it was like, I don't know, almost like a big fishnet kind of thing. But there was somebody you know, was making four a, inch or five inch. a bungee one. Um, oh yeah, I remember that they had. The I can't remember program. who the hell was making that, but somebody somebody was making a bungee one, and they were only like four by fours, but it was kind of cool that way. Yeah, that's why I always have the paranoia of like chunks of nylon ending up in my flower. <laughs> then I'm like smoking nylon fibers or something. So, um, even though it's probably if you're careful you can avoid that but um yeah that would be like if there was a organic hemp food grade like baker's twine netting that would be like the holy grail of organic hippy dippy uh supporting systems for your <laughs> your weed plants maybe maybe coat it in like beeswax or something just to keep the uh the mold off or something like that yeah from the twine that's true yeah the twine we end up we ditch it you know after at the end of the year we just cut it and ditch it but or throw it in the compost heap but um oh i see okay yeah that works um what else do you, i got my other question um so you do a, had a really interesting post the other day about um, direct-to-consumer legislation. And I thought it'd be interesting if you wanted to mention that because it's something that you know quite a bit about and you're passionate about. Well, um, yeah. And actually just had a really good Zoom meeting today with another um, group in California that's very pro-craft farmer um and it seems like 2023 all the craft farmers who are into the homesteader lifestyle and have been doing this for a while and um we're all kind of it seems like everyone is having the same realization this year 2023 like fuck if things don't change here we're going to be looking at an extinction event for small craft farmers and we're also sort of morally ethically just because we believe in this plant so much and that this plant could really actually help make the world a better place if it's and that small craft farming when it's when it's done you know really well with good intentions could be like this new model for how agriculture could be done. Like we could actually escape this whole industrial agriculture complex and go back to a more homesteady, localized, decentralized agriculture system, you know, for everything. And that cannabis had that opportunity of a new, fresh, clean model where we could actually demonstrate that model and how successful it could be. Um, so there's just preserving a livelihood, a culture, legacy, and all that, but then also 
fighting for the bigger picture of just just a more sustainable, mindful, regenerative agriculture, agricultural system in general seems a noble cause and worth fighting for. But the reality is that's not where things are trending right now, at least here in California. Um, it is like the operation corporate consolidation is on big time. And, uh, and the scary thing is, so like with our company, Jade Nectar, where we do these tinctures, we only work with about 25 local dispensaries. And, um, and sort of our little niche, and by the way, we, we're actually profitable. Um, we've sort of learned that the name of the game in, uh, I don't want to preach or anything like that, but for folks in other states who are just getting into cannabis and legal cannabis, there's this allure of, oh, I'm going to build an empire and I'm going to get big and huge and then I'll be on Cannabis Business Magazine and I'm just going to be this like kingpin, like, uh, yeah, going to build your empire. And we've just seen it over and over that there seems to be this cannabis karma that if you're in it to elevate yourself and about power and uh, sort of elevating yourself and exploiting the plant to get there, there seems to be this universal law that cannabis is not stoked on that. And so we're seeing been a lot of people or a lot of organizations in California, like lots of the big players are eating shit. And now they're all just suing each other and all the investors are suing each other. And it's just this toxic, toxic, gnarly thing that is the antithesis of the cannabis experience. Like, hey, let's all get along. Let's <laughs> let's be friends. Let's live a more harmonious, peaceful lifestyle. And I'm not talking like, listen any just being a bunch of wussies but being mindful you know being mindful and kind and caring and peaceful doesn't mean you're a wimp um and but well anyway so what i'm getting at is the small craft farmers i think universally or at least here in california are all really waking up to okay we gotta change the system here because this is just not working for anyone um and even in the dispensaries People are claiming like dispensary owners are saying we need the taxes drop because no one wants to shop at dispensaries anymore because of the taxes. But the customer surveys that I read are the customers are saying we don't want to shop at dispensaries anymore because the weed sucks. <laughs> it's all this like industrial factory weed. Um, so anyway, enough of that little rant. So what we're myself and starting to connect with others on is the concept of, and it's not a mind-blowing concept, but for some reason we kind of got brainwashed into thinking this wasn't possible, but it's just the small farmers being able to ship their cannabis products directly to consumers within the state of California. So there are shipping companies um, that do not cross state lines. 
So we're not talking FedEx, US Postal Service, UPS. We're not them, but there's, for example, there's a Golden State Overnight here in California, which is a California only shipper. So they don't cross state lines. Uh, they actually, Golden State Overnight is the shipping company who, um, and by the way, if, if folks aren't aware of this, uh, in California, right now, small wineries have been shipping bottles of wine directly to consumers' houses since 1985 here in California. Uh, also, craft breweries are allowed to ship their craft beer directly to customers' homes here in California. Uh, also, uh, distilled spirits, so hard alcohol, craft uh, distilled spirits are allowed to ship directly to people's houses. Uh, also, Amazon Pharmacy, they are allowed to ship Xanax, like uh, all Schedule II and some Schedule III prescription drugs are allowed to be shipped directly to your house. And tobacco products are allowed to be shipped directly to your house. And they're all shipped with just using a shipper that does age and ID verification. So when they deliver, they just are required to check your ID, make sure it's you, and then you sign for it and it's done. So this isn't some wild reinvent, like crazy concept. It, it turns out, oh, and by the way, also hemp and Delta-8 and all the weird synthetic crappy cannabinoids, they'll probably get banned when the farm bill, new farm bill hits. But right now, those are allowed to be shipped directly to your house in California. So it almost starts to become, oh my God, cannabis, legal, licensed, lab-tested cannabis is like the only thing you're not allowed to ship to people's houses in California. This is crazy. How is this not allowed? And uh, so we're just going with that logic that one, it's good to actually preserve small family independent homesteader farms. That was the whole logic for small wineries being able to uh, ship bottles of wine uh, because yeah, like grocery stores and liquor stores don't carry esoteric craft wines. So how do you, you know, how do you sell the customers? And, and the result of that though, by throwing that lifeline to uh, craft wineries is California now has this massively thriving craft boutique wine industry that now is allowed to ship all over the nation and it's a, it's a huge industry. Um, in some ways, it's maybe gotten a little too big and out of hand. But, um, but that logic and that principle has already been debated and has already won that, yes, it's good to have small, independent, decentralized, small farmers and craft operators. It's also good for customer choice to be able to choose and have a diversity of products to choose from. And then for cannabis, even there's even a stronger case compared to wine because cannabis is also medicine for a lot of people. And we have medical patients in California 
where uh, dispensaries are banned or just their local dispensary could care less about wellness products. So uh, like my, myself even, I get emails every day from uh, people you know, with Parkinson's, MS, lupus and such who are interested in um, getting our wellness tinctures, but they have, they have no access. You know, they may be six hours drive away from, um, oh, am I still here? I just got a notice about my internet. Am I here? Yeah. Hey, yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, I have a anyway. question with your wellness tincture. Um, is that a THC based one? I've heard that uh, THC, uh, sorry, THC five uh, based uh, tincture. Is, I've heard that's very good for Parkinson's and um, and, and such things. Uh, is it, have you found that uh, true? Well, THCV, THCV, yeah, B. THCV. Well, THCV has a whole. Well, people don't really even know exactly what it does. Um, supposedly, some for some diabetes, it may be good for metabolism. Um, but then a lot of this is just total, we're in kind of like shaman era, you know, uh, where you just have to go try it and see, see if it helps. Um, so a lot of people are reporting for like migraines, also people with attention, uh, challenges and such, the THCV just can really help them focus, um, but there's there's also uh, the whole concept of THCV being an appetite suppressant. I haven't really, I don't get ravenous munchies, but I still feel like eating when I consume. So I think that's been massively overinflated the claims that it just like a little bit exaggerated massively yeah yeah it's kind of like <laughs> the new diet pill so just eat thcv gummies all day long and you'll somehow lose weight or something it's just it it's totally being oversold and people calling it diet weed and such i don't see that as that hasn't been my experience i don't get ravenous munchies but if i'm hungry yeah i still food tastes awesome <laughs> but um tell, tell us about your work because you've done a lot of work with thcv cultivars it was one of the, the things that we first connected on yeah well and and just want to say on the wellness too a lot of what we work on is uh raw cannabinoids so big believer in like raw thca and cbda and also thcva is a really really interesting um effect and uh so so people with like autoimmune and inflammation and pain issues have really found the raw cannabinoids are awesome plus you don't get stoned well yeah like especially if you're getting those big doses it could it could be a lot for anybody um especially like the thca allows you to medicate higher amounts of the cannabinoid without without getting like super stoned it did yeah. yeah it's kind of thca you can kind of 10 times your dose with thca so if like with thc if you start flipping out at 10 milligrams of THC that's uncomfortable for you as far as psychedelically, 
then you can probably take 100 milligrams of THCA and feel like you're about at 10 milligrams of THC. Um, but it's not just less stone. It's You get this whole different body relaxation, almost feels like you just got massaged and acupuncture and sat in a sauna, like all that super relaxing um, thing. And uh, yeah, it's weird. I can't say uh, specifically people because, um, but recently I've, I've actually been working with uh, professional athletes um, who just through a weird chain of events, we came in contact with but um because i'm kind of used to working with sick people <laughs> and older people and you know frail fragile people and helping them with their wellness because they have a health crisis but uh now i'm working with some like some of the most in shape most fit extreme athlete people and what they're reporting to me is they are loving cannabis especially after a game or whatever their athletic thing is um for relaxing and unwinding and it's almost like getting a really amazing massage uh and they just really have found that to be really therapeutic plus plus a lot of athletes once they get in their 30s their bodies are already getting pretty beat up they've had surgeries and such so they're dealing with a lot of pain management and they don't like, you know, pain pills tend to kind of um, dull them mentally a little bit and they like to be real sharp. So cannabis is really, um, we've heard about all the athletes who are very pro cannabis, but I've, I've now had direct experience with a number of folks and yeah, they, really really appreciate um what it's doing so it's it's, it's kind of cool seeing it's not just sick people who are benefiting from this cannabis medicine it's some of the most in shape healthy <laughs> physically fit people are uh loving it too and finding it a much better alternative to uh pharmaceuticals um but oh and and wanted to follow up on the directive consumer shipping so Anyway, I think you got the logic of, yeah, it pretty much everyone agrees. Small family homestead farmers who are doing things, especially sustainably, regeneratively, that's just cool. And if you're able to make a living and support a family and doing it out in the middle of fucking nowhere where it's in a pristine environment, that's awesome. And so if you're a customer, who wants to tap into that vibe but you're living in LA right now it's you know it's impossible how how do you connect and we have this beautiful thing the internet so if you can put up your your website that tells the story of your farm actually tracks you know the plants like how they grow and you can see them and then that customer in LA who's like oh man on the weekends, they may drive out of town to Joshua Tree or something to get out there because they just like escaping the city or they just want something a little more natural. Now, all of a sudden, they'd be able to connect with that farmer who um, is living that lifestyle. And, and then that customer gets to consume 
that cannabis directly from the farmer, support that farmer for doing doing their craft and keeping it pure, you know, and not selling out and all that. And that just seems to be a beautiful, beautiful way of connecting people all throughout the state and then supporting craft farming as opposed to industrial corporate mass-produced high-yielding crap which is turning out everyone seems to agree the quality of the weed is going to shit like every year it's getting worse and then we're getting diseases and all this stuff too so it's like industrial cannabis those are two words that just aren't meant to go together it's it's a craft it's a it's a it's an art form it's a way of life and um so anyway everyone seems to appreciate that so we're starting to connect with um like actual california legislators senators political types who are sympathetic and um really think it's it's going to turn into a grassroots movement um the weird thing is that a lot, there's a lot of opposition from folks who want to monopolize the entire industry. Uh, it's kind of like the kids on the playground who just want to steal all the toys and pile them up in a pile and not let anyone else play with them. <laughs> it's more of a pathology than an actual business plan. And um, so the reality is any really healthy mature industry will have a mass-produced segment will have a craft segment and they all kind of complement each other because if if small craft farmers are allowed to ship directly to customers that's a lifeline to them so they don't get extinct go extinct and then if small craft farmers are thriving and doing well they'll also be able to work with a lot more uh, dispensaries and be able to get that high quality craft cannabis to dispensaries. And in reality, the dispensaries may actually see more customers coming back to them if they know they're gonna have really high vibe in craft cannabis as an offering. Um, so short-term, it may be counterintuitive for you know, the retailers who want to, again, own every toy on the playground, but for sustainability, it's, it's important to have a whole ecosystem in the financial different segments of, of the market and craft, just like with wine, beer, craft distillers, there, it's a, it's an important part of the entire ecosystem. And so they should actually not fight it and kind of honor the reality is the legacy craft farmers or who fought to get this legal in the first place. So they should honor those farmers and be cool with them being allowed to direct ship. It's not gonna put dispensaries out of business. BevMo is not going out of business because some small wineries or shipping bottles of wine around the state. So anyway, we hopefully we can all get along and that hopefully we can get some retailers to actually say, yes, we support this 
for the greater good of the cannabis community. That would be so cool. <laughs> but but we'll see. So that's what that's what we're working on on direct to consumer shipping. But I'm an optimist, but I kind of feel like it's a right idea and it it needs to happen. And I have a feeling it's gonna happen at least here in California. And that can be a template for other states and then nationwide and goes on and on. Anyway. That's awesome, man. So tell us about your, your cultivation methods. Uh, you're talking about how you love to grow organically and regeneratively. Um, we're both big fans of that and, and both do uh, KNF as well as, uh, you know, soil food web practices and, and among others. Um, tell us a bit about your, the, your growth style. Well, the uh, thing I've gotten really excited about and have been implementing um, the last few years is uh, just Hugo culture. That just the concept of using, uh, I mean, there's so many different styles of Hugo culture, but the, the basic foundation of it, at least for what we're doing, is using uh, wood chips and uh, tree parts <laughs> and burying those in the native soil and then just watching then the mycelium uh, just start exploding from there. Um, so at this uh, Boy Scout camp property that we're developing, um, one of the first things we had to do is because of, um, well, one, we had a lot of down trees and a lot of hazard trees, uh, but then also for fire management, you, we do have to have defensible space. Like you have to get those trees away from your buildings. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, if you if you're like I want to see I don't want to kill a tree I'm going to save this tree a fire comes through that tree is going to burn but now also your building's going to burn um, so what we do to uh, sort of ethically morally and put put those tree if we have to take out a tree we then put it to use and we um, yeah bury. All the branches and such but we also did just get a, a chipper like a vermeer you know big pretty good size chipper and we just throw those trees through there get a big old pile of especially oak and madrone uh, wood chips and then we've just found when we uh, we bury those and mix those in the with the soil and we're also doing uh, like about a two to three inch layer of wood chip oak wood chips on the surface as a mulch uh, and then we water down through using drip all through that mulch and um, yeah almost immediately the mycelium starts to we we try and let the chips sit for a year so it breaks down a little bit and the mycelium is already going and then once we add that uh, into our, our gardens yeah it's like compost tea 24 7 just that mycelium and all the nutrients and everything and then the mulch we found also works as a really good barrier against uh thrips and aphids and kind of breaks the larvae pupae egg cycle where a lot of these pests have to get down in the soil to do their thing um so that's kind of that's the main foundation that we work with and then um 
to get things kickstarted with nutrient, we actually, I mean, it's debatable what, uh, what manure, if, you know, if you use manures, but we, we had a horse farm uh, or a boarding place that, and she's a kind of a hippy dippy organic lady. So they don't use any like fly spray or crap like that. Um, and so she gave us access to their horse manure pile that was like a giant pyramid of like 20 years of horse manure. And um, we dug deep into like the center core of, the, of that and just was hauling out truckload after truckload of that manure. And, uh, and her husband, kind of interesting her husband he passed away but he was actually breeding red wriggler worms with their horse manure so that was one of his hobbies and so all the horse manure on that property is so inoculated with worms like you'll just dig into it and it just explodes with worms and she was just very happy in a way it sounds weird but it's like that was like her husband. She she doesn't kill worms if she sees them on the path or anything. She picks them up and puts them aside because it's kind of like that's her husband now to her, you know, a symbol of her husband now that uh, he's gone. So anyway, she's very protective and she was very stoked to know that we appreciated the worms, her husband's worms that he had uh, introduced there. And uh, anyway, so that horse manure was uh, the first initial foundation in trying to get some really good nitrogen going. So uh, now, but now we're just pretty much adding uh, forest debris. Um, sorry, I got a dog excitement. No worries. You want to let him go run out real quick for a second? Got a little uh, schnoodle. He's. Uh, I never understood the concept of little fluffy dogs, like little white fluffy puppy dogs, but now I, I get it. They're like engineered to love you, and they're so cool. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, we we still. Um, yeah, I'd like it, and we're sort of developing this. We're trying to now start adding in more um, uh, pollinator or pollen producing plants to keep our lace wings and ladybugs and all of our beneficial insects around. Um, but we're we're starting from scratch with this place. So, and uh, and we're actually planted in the ground, like we dug the holes out and then put stainless food grade, stainless steel gopher wire because we've got really bad gophers. Um, so we have to keep them out. They'll, I mean, they'd kill everything. So we have this food grade stainless steel gopher wire that's a hippie guy here in Santa Cruz manufactures. <laughs> and- uh, Have you had any luck with um, interspersing um, uh, ground cherries or other uh, nightshades? I've had pretty good luck with that down in San Diego, putting in uh, you know, kind of gra more ground cover type uh, nightshades. Uh, that would be, I haven't worked with those uh, specifically. Um, that's what we're 
it one thing we were looking into was purslane. I don't know if you've seen purslane. It kind of just it spreads real low. Um, but what was your experience with the ground cherries and how did they? Yeah, there was a, a plant called Kokona. Uh, I think it was. Uh, we got it through Baker Creek. I'm sure you can still get it through Baker Creek. Uh, I, and uh, I, I grew those just in a veggie garden, not in the cannabis garden. Yeah, so the we grew those and ground cherries and uh, like a just like a more creeping type uh, tomato, and they seemed any uh, uh, the plants that had those at the base of them, they didn't touch those at all. Like the the histamine, because remember that those uh, tomatoes and those ground cherries have a lot of histamine in the roots, so it, it sets them off and gives them like a. And that's the same thing. If you go dig and start snapping up the roots. You'll get a histamine response pretty quickly. You'll get all eyes watery, and your nose will get all runny. And oh, this so, was for the gophers for keeping the gophers away. Yeah, in San Diego, it worked pretty well for me. Ah, cool. That cool. was in Hamul that we were growing them. Nice. Well, that's what. Um, cool. Yeah. So we'll probably, but just to be for sure, for sure, because I've seen gophers take out ten pound plants and it's oh yeah and i'm a, and it, so we still have the gophers and it's kind of funny that they, they do they're a little perimeter tunnel they'll go all the way around and then and then outside the cage we're we're starting to plant um so like calendula yarrow i really love yarrow uh like those uh like anise and yarrow and those kind of those small clustery flowers um sort of like carrot flowers and dill um i've just observed that lace wings really love that type of flower for some reason at least that's where i always see like the native lace wings when i spot them they're usually hanging out on those flowers um so we're going to be uh, we're trying to incorporate those into our garden and just get more color and more you know biodiversity going. But um, so we we started doing that in in this garden, but we have a real small lean and mean crew. So um, we've done it on a few of the. Uh, boxes but I, th I think it was also becoming a challenge because then some of it grows up into the plant too like yarrow and some of the stuff get starts getting tall too so I think what we're going to do is have little just clusters throughout the garden that are just pure um, pollen generating plants and such um, just so they're not as up in like getting it all up in the because then when we're trying to work on the cannabis plants too all of a sudden we're like stepping on our flowers <laughs> so, so i don't know we're gonna let it get all jungly and and such but it's like only so many minutes in a day but we have noticed um yeah just as as we've opened things up and gotten a little more biodiversity going there that it things are things are balancing out when we when we first moved up there the first year the thrips were just like biblical plagues like thrips are usually just annoying but not risk of killing your plants these things they were like locusts 
when they showed up man like big plants they were just coating on it was like the plant had fleas just like bouncing off them and and we just could not figure out what to do about it we did finally end up uh, doing a bunch of uh, mulch on the bottom which sort of broke that cycle and then and then luckily the type of thrip we have in in our area it's right as plants are going into flower end of august early september it's just the thrift just disappear though just gone it's just like their life cycle and the season they just disappear thank god but um but ever since we started doing the mulch and just uh sort of starting to get things a little more in balance we just haven't seen as much uh pest and luckily we we actually have a um native ladybug swarm on our property like where they actually cluster like the big globs of them um so uh if we get any aphid showing up uh the ladybugs just come swarming in immediately um but we still do supplement with lace wings i've really found lace wings to be very effective against um aphids um so luckily last this will be our third year i think this year um that it's looking like we're not going to have to spray one single anything although uh there's a few plants uh that for some reason the thrips just the last few weeks got really excited about but uh by the way what we're doing right now is we're just spraying them with water with a hose three times a day and um thrips don't like water and or at least these ones don't so they seem to be disappearing on their own just spraying water on the plants so well, that's good <laughs> yeah in thailand we had some that were every time the wind we get a good wind storm it would like blow a cloud of them in like like you were saying and what? um they were one of the what was that thrips or yeah. what oh there's thrips in thailand too huh Oh yeah, they were they were unlike any I've ever seen before. But we, I mean, I threw everything in the kitchen sink at them, and we could get the numbers down to maybe five percent of what they were at, and at the you know the worst of it, but could never really get them to zero. You know, they were just always around. Well, and if you spray something, they just fly away because they can yeah, fly. So it's not like an aphid. You spray it if you do spray them. You just hit them, and usually if I spray for aphids, I'm using like an oil that suffocates them. So they can't go away, but with a thrip, you spray at them, and they're just like, they fly away. And then once the coast is clear, they just fly back. <laughs> yeah, they're little fuckers. <laughs> right. Have you found any uh, interesting things uh, in your... Uh learnings with uh, natural farming or regenerative farming or any cool tips or tricks that you want to pass along oh here's here's a really cool one that seems to be working um so rats have always been um a challenge uh coming either chewing uh, the base like completely uh chewing the bark off the stalk of the plant or we have some weird rats uh, at this at 
at my other place that actually when the plants are in full flower, they'll go and chew the colas off and then they take them back to their nest and like decorate their house with colas. So weird. So it's like this weird stoner rat tribe. Um, but yeah, they climb all the way up the plant and chew the colas off and then drag them off. Um, but at least, and that's annoying, but that's okay. That doesn't kill the plant, but the chewing mm -hmm. the base of the plant, obviously some, and by the way, I don't know if you've seen this before, like some cannabis plants, if the bark gets chewed all the way around the base, the plant dies within a day, gone. But there's other cannabis plants that can get all the bark chewed off and it doesn't even phase them. So it's like the nutrient is being transported like deeper within the stalk than like the cambium layer in the bark. Have, have you ever seen that? Uh, we had a something kind of similar in, in Zim. We had the grasshoppers you would eat the cambrian layer off about a third to halfway up the plant and then they would just kind of flop over you know they kind of like rot for a little bit and then it would flop, flop over after you know a couple two or three days worth of weakening it was really weird but okay. that was something that uh the only similar thing to that that i've seen okay well here's the thing maybe someone else has found this as well but what I started doing this year was I take organic uh, peppermint essential oil and put it on a cotton ball and just all my plants once a week, I go and rub the peppermint oil around the base of the plant because rats hate peppermint. Um, and so, so far so good, have not had a single rat nibble on any of these plants and we've we've got a pretty hardy rat population out at this farm on the property i mean they're they get into everything um so so that way uh it just completely deters them it's not you know you're not yeah i've tried trapping rats i put out the buckets that they'll fall in and drown with the trapping, a lot of times, unfortunately, we'll end up trapping a bird, you know, and it's just, it just sucks. And it doesn't really keep the rat necessarily off your plant. But now rubbing, I've, I've been doing it really lightly, but sort of increasing, I guess, the potency each time. But I haven't seen any detrimental effect to the plant. It doesn't seem to bother the plant at all. But yeah, just so I take that little bottle of essential oil, put it on a cotton ball and then just rub it really quick along the base of the plant. And um, so that's like, you know, like pouring diesel fuel on a burrito for us or something, you know, it's just like they don't even want to touch it. Um, so in that way, rats aren't getting hurt. Plants are doing fine and it, it just seems kind of cool. It's just plants helping plants in a way. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the exciting little 
innovation that we came up with. I don't know, maybe other people are doing that, but uh, it just came as an idea. And uh, so far, so good. It seems to be working. So um, I wouldn't, yeah. And now that, I, you know, the, at first I just did it on like three plants to see I was scared it might affect the bark or something, or the plant absorbs it and the essential oil is too strong and like upsets the plant. But yeah, I haven't seen any negatives whatsoever. So um, who knows, maybe that's a hot tip. Yeah, no, I haven't tried peppermint oil. Uh, I've tried plenty of other things. I've also noticed that it's worse on years where the drought's really high. They kind of look for green plants to get moisture from. And it yeah. seems like uh, it seems to always be much worse on those years. And that's what, and we've tried to do the thing like we put, uh, you know, water out in dishes and such. Like, oh, if we offer them water, then they won't touch our plant. But it seemed to be like, oh, cool, there's water. Oh, wow, cool. There's also these cool plants that you <laughs> so, And in some ways, it was almost like, are we drawing the rats into our garden with these water dishes? So, um, but hopefully, in theory, rats hate peppermint uh, or any of the mints. So um, just, and then we've noticed that smell though but you have to reapply it every week like once a week uh, but so far so good we haven't had one single nibble and we got a lot of juicy plants out there i think the trick is to run the high enough current through the water dish so that when they come to drink it just handles itself <laughs> that's true but unfortunately the dish can't tell the difference between the bird and the lizard and everyone else who might come and that's oh that's yeah funny. i know yeah, I know. I I wish there was a way to selectively get them, but but yeah, I hear you. There's a great guy, uh, a great YouTube channel called uh, like Mouse Trap Monday on Woods. I think it is. The guy has like a thousand different mouse traps, um, live catch and non-live catch, and like ancient remakes and stuff like that. It's a really interesting channel if you're ever looking for. Uh, different types of solutions for, for all types of pest creatures, both the, uh, uh, you know, non-kill and, and kill versions. Uh, he's got pretty much everything if you ever, ever want to see if yeah. something works. Was it cool Mousetrap Monday? Yep. All right, I'm going to look that up because we've got, we just had a rat get into uh, one of our vehicles and uh, actually chewed the, um, the air conditioning drain hose did something with that so now it started draining water into the cabin of the vehicle so the carpet's sopping wet and it's just yeah man they get rats they're so bad <laughs> they get they get in there they i've had them chew hydraulics on my tractors and oh it's i guess it's been going on since the beginning of civilization rats menacing people but um anyway it's like a cat cat deficiency <laughs> yeah well we have feral cats too but i don't know maybe we spoil them but they're like no we those rats are disgusting we'd rather eat that kibble <laughs> so they i don't the know those rats can fight you mean <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. It's weird though. I don't feel too bad. I mean, we do trap rats at different points and stuff, but I, I have seen where we've trapped a rat and then like another rat will come and eat his face of his traps. I don't know if they were friends before or not, but yeah. So they, I don't know. Rats are, they're weird. California rat trap massacre. Yeah. And then they have to like just crap and pee on everything too. So it's they're just gross. They're nasty. Anyway, right. enough about rats. <laughs> anyway. Well, um I um I don't wanna keep you all night. We've been going for about an hour and hour and twenty minutes. Uh I do appreciate your time. Uh Cool. Oh, do you want to talk about THCV though? Sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. You were, you were in a. And by the way, you have some method. Are you ever going to disclose your THCV boosting method? Yeah, I was. I was talking to Wes about that. At some point, I think we'll 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 go ahead and and talk about that more freely. But yeah, there's a there's a couple of different techniques that. you can do at least hydroponically that uh and aquaponically obviously um that uh that you can do to to improve thcv but um we've only tested it three or four times with one cultivar and haven't had a chance to well not not true we did test on a couple different cultivars but we haven't had a chance to really flush it out with with any thcv genetics so it'd be interesting to kind of see if that changes it did we ever get you connected with some of the seeds that we had going no no i was i was bouncing around for a bit it's something i, I wanted to talk to you about off, uh, offline with, uh, okay. after the the show would be great okay um, cool but, yeah well we got without doing any cool tricks just growing it in natural sun um most of the phenos now uh they test five to the very tippy top is eight percent thcv but most come in around six, seven percent, and then the THC is at ten percent. Um, but the cool thing with the with the the free the V thing that uh, we did a few years ago um, was also uh, crossed into it the semi-auto trait. So, and, and that's not ruderalis autoflower, but it's uh, light sensitive, the semi-auto using uh, like the Middle Eastern um, varieties. Um, so anyway, you can grow like three rounds outdoors if you wanted to in one season uh, with your first harvest, you, you know, being in June. <laughs> and, uh, but it it gets a really nice, chunky, modern looking, uh flower um but it comes in yeah six seven eight percent thcv to ten percent thc and uh man just, just a really really cool sort of hot rod super agile fun to grow plant some of them still go a little more african leaning and we'll have like a 10-week flower uh but some of them um yeah get it all done like in eight, eight and a half weeks. Uh, 
and real nice. Uh, yeah, and the smoke's cool, but yeah, with THCV, I don't know what your experience is. It's like you get stoned, you get psychedelic, but it just kind of like surgically removes the confusion segment of the stone. So it's like, you're like, weird, I feel stoned. And I'm thinking abstract thoughts and creative, but I know exactly where my car keys are and I could actually do like math and accounting work. <laughs> so it's it's a very bizarre uh, effect that, yeah, you can be stoned, but also really laser focused. Um, I, had, I hadn't noticed the, the clarity on it, but I did notice I had a very like, nerve calming effect like much more of like a like a body i, I don't even i, I don't want to say it, not like an indica in like a body couch lock kind of thing but in like a like calmed a nervous system kind of thing almost in a way like a benadryl does or something like that to like make your nervous system kind of relax and, and like jittery or anxiety kind of like relaxing i oh, guess for lack of a third well this uh with the smoking yeah, we also make a tincture with it. Um, and with the tincture, you know, with edible type situation, you can go higher with doses and get a whole new set of effects. Um, but with the THCV uh, tincture we do, you have like myself and then I caution other people, like be really careful about dosing too high. And it's not that the uh, psychedelicness is too emotionally difficult to deal with it's just physically you can like get really jacked up like your heart thumping and kind of sweating and just getting really uh you know like drinking five red bull kind of vibe going on um so but yeah it's it's definitely a very interesting cannabinoid and what was so frustrating was just you couldn't find it anywhere and everyone had it on lockdown. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was the motivation to sort of track it down and actually found, found it in uh, a lot of these land races in the uh, Africans and actually old, do you know, uh, reefer, reefer man, genetics, reefer man, genetics. Like had, I think Wes is familiar with him, yes. Yeah, he had a strain called Willie Nelson. It wasn't anything, it wasn't Willie Nelson Reserve or Willie Reserve or branding, but I guess Willie Nelson had just bought like a pound off them at a cannabis show. <laughs> so they just named it Willie Nelson. Uh, but that, that turned out that strain uh also and i'm not exactly sure what the whole roots of those genetics were but that already right off the bat had like two percent thcb and then we just crossed it with some other stuff and then crossed in the um semi-auto trait and just it took about five generations uh but we got it up to yeah where it's five to eight percent pretty much every Every pheno now. But nice. Anyway, so it'd be cool to see what happens if you, yeah, if you pull some of your nifty tricks 
method. You said semi-auto trait there. Um, how often does that um, uh, show up? Uh, it's well, I found it specifically in um, like uh, Middle Eastern, so like uh, Moroccan Beldia kif or keep Beldia kif plants have that. Um, I just found an Iraqi uh, plant land race that that has it. I mean, we we harvested that. We popped the seeds in March and then uh, harvested in early July. Um, so it's basically it just gets sexually mature. And if you want to veg them longer, you can put a light over it. I put it like a little solar five dollar solar spotlight over it and that will keep it in veg but um but if you let it just go natural any time of year uh it will just go into flower we we actually call them 18 hour flower that's a little more real like describes what it is so when the light's under 18 hours a day it will just naturally go into uh, flower so it's like doing light depth but with genetics um so we found so Egyptian Sinai has that trait. Turkish hash plants do. The Iraqi has it. Um, I work with an Iranian variety that consistently does that, um, and then the Moroccan and uh, oh uh, Syrian a little bit. It was a little later. Lebanese, some Lebanese also tend to do it. So. You know, they have different scales of how, but it's really important. It's not a fast flower. There's still like eight or nine week flower, but it just will do it any time of year if the light's under 18 hours. So you still get a full structured, complex flower. It's not rushing the flower production. It's just, but it will go any time of year. And um, and I found when you cross that out into other um, strains that don't have that trait, a lot of times, you know, probably 50% of the phenos will have it just off the F1. Or they'll be exceptionally a lot earlier. Um, and that way, because Ruderalis, I'm not a tremendous fan of the Ruderalis crosses. I just haven't found anything that's really grade A. I mean, eventually, I guess it will get there. But um, but you're kind of with Ruderalis, you're kind of locked into now you're at the mercy of the clock. It's ticket. And then they don't really do quite as well unless they have like 18 hour. You know, the more light, the bigger they're going to get because they're running on that clock but with the semi-auto you kind of have the ultimate agility that you get a full mature flower and then you can veg it as long as you want by just adding light it's a lot easier to add supplemental light than pulling a tarp <laughs> and light depthing so um anyway so yeah okay that's, that's interesting I've just been experiencing that with a uh, Congolese deep chunk uh, that I'm growing right now. And it just kind of reached sexual maturity and it's still under 18 hours late and it's just started pushing pistols. No matter, uh, yeah. And uh, 
yeah, never, never seen, never experienced it. That is definitely not an auto, but um, never experienced anything like that before. So I thought that was interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, it's probably that deep chunk, and deep chunk is basically an Afghan heirloom, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably somewhere deep in its genetics. It has that connection. I I'm actually growing some deep chunk this season have some going and it's looking really nice <laughs> also uh pine tar kush has, and those are both from uh tom hill right that, that yeah, is correct. i love yeah i love, I love bob hill. Uh, tom hill or bob hill i'm sorry that's kind of the sweet spot when you have like I mean, my understanding is those are like land race Afghans, but then uh, we sort of California qualities selected, on the, like worked a little bit. But I don't think I don't. I mean, I I wish I knew the whole history, but I think they were stayed pure like Afghans. They were just highly selected. Is that your understanding of those? I don't know the the deep chunk line. Okay, well, I'm growing them. They look pretty much like a like an Afghan land race, um, but just like sort of the primo. Like if you're going to go pheno hunting through a whole Afghan uh, land race batch of seeds, it just looks like the primo, and these kind of stabilized like. The primo <laughs> for for actual uh like flower smoking where of course a lot of the afghan was grown just for the hash so it wasn't as flower oriented but anyway cool yeah i haven't uh i one other thing i have seen when you take a plant from like 18 to 14 or 18 to 16 or 20 to 18 just that two hour difference a three-hour difference can can really make a big difference too. Bolt it, yeah, like kickstart it into flower. Yeah, the other thing I've noticed too is, um, especially CBD lines, if you run them twenty-four hours, they'll throw herm flowers. Uh, I've noticed uh, the twenty-four hours stresses a lot of strains, especially like landrace stuff. It does not like it. Um, but if you take that same cultivar and drop it to sixteen hours, it doesn't show that trait at all. Like you can take clones off of it, and it'll never herm. You know, never show any traits, but it, you throw that back on her 24 and it'll start throwing like individual nanners on the main stem. I've seen that a couple of times. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, because you were in uh, Thailand and yep. I've I've heard this because that's you that's equatorial. So they're so in Thailand they're pretty much 12-12 year round, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's maybe a difference of 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, so, so I've heard if you bring in like modern or Amsterdam weed or whatever, like skunk or whatever, it will start flowering almost immediately because it's at 12-12 year round. So it, yep. if you bring it in modern polyhybrids, you have to add supplemental lighting to keep them from flowering when they're just like... 18 inches tall. Yep. No, that's that's totally true. 
and, and it's easier to do that at nighttime. You just run them like 45 minutes at 9 p.m., midnight, and 3 a.m. Yeah. Just have the lights just, just kick on long enough to, to break that night up. And then when you switch them over and they have no light at night, it's a hard 12 hours a night, and it just really slams them into flower uh, nice and hard. And that yeah. seems to be a, the best strategy for, for growing. But, yeah, the, the other thing, too, is anything broadleaf just melts. In, in Thailand, like if you don't put that under a good uh, sunshade, like you have 50% sunshade, you know, you take anything broadleaf, it's just going to get annihilated by the sun there. It's just not, not going to happen. Really? Well, and that's what's really interesting. So now I've got all these Thai and Cam Cambodian, Equatorial, uh, Asian varieties. Um, so, so we're getting, you know, like 14, 14, 15 hours of light. And so they're maybe starting to consider going into flower right now, but they've just been vegging so hard because they seem confused. They're getting so much light that they're just charging. So pretty much all of our uh, equatorial Asian plants, they're all over 10 feet tall and just huge. And do they in Thailand? Do they actually get that big? Oh yeah, the the in fact, the, I have some seeds here. I, I'm gonna bulk out, um, and then I have more coming too from Canada. But the temple Thai seeds. So there's these ones that would get to 20 feet tall but under 12-12 before harvest. Oh real? And how long is the flower cycle in Thailand? Because some people have told me that. In Thailand, it's not a 16-week flower. It's just 16 weeks when you bring it to like California because the light's so different. Or no, I mean a lot of them have a really. really I mean, you can go back and look at some of the videos that uh, I have there, and some of those plants are 14 or 15 weeks, and we just gave up and said fuck with it and threw them in the yard, and they all got fried by the sun in three days. <laughs> Oh, it, even know, in, in we, and that was in Thailand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, under We had them under sunshade in the greenhouse, but they just still hadn't finished after. And we had cycled everything else through twice. And it was like, okay, well, it's just taking up space at this point. They're not going to put on enough yield. None of them had any kind of, enough of a unique smell to, to warrant that kind of, you know, continuation, you know, for something that smells like lemonine. Yeah. yeah. Well, where's the like original tie stick? Because because I remember in the late '80s, early '90s, there was still tie stick, and it was yeah. I didn't see. I saw a tie stick one time, and it was at the the 420 celebration, <laughs> and someone brought it, and it was like his. He had learned from someone there, and and then recreated it with some tie strings, but that was other other than that. I mean, you don't see tie stick at all. It's just not. Not was it good anymore. though? What you tried was it good? It was okay. I mean, it was regular old Thai sativa lemonine dominant. Um, anything in the rice fields is going to be pretty much like Ethan stuff and anything, anything in the, in the rice paddy area is going to be pretty lemonine dominant in Thailand. And then when you get up into the mountains a little bit more, um, especially between like, um, uh, like north of Pechaboon, headed towards Chiang Mai and those mountains there, there's a lot more um, mango. And then when you get up to like Chiang Mai, 
and Shanghai. There's some stuff that's more like sandalwood and sometimes like rose. And there was one up there too that had like clove notes, like a, a, like a dar jarum cigarette uh, kind of vibe. And that was really interesting. Um, and then the temple ties, which came from north of Karat, uh, somewhere in the hills there. Um, so, uh, and those are, are peachy and, and totally different. Like they're, they're very unique. They're, they're very clearly like sativa land race, but they're, they're just gigantic. And I don't know, they're, they're, there's very clearly a, a very distinctly different genetic population than everything else. Is that near geographically near uh, Cambodia, that area? Um, it's kind of between the middle of the country and the border. So it's kind of between like Pechaboon and um, Buriram. It's kind of north of Bangkok, north northeast of Bangkok, maybe four or five hours. Okay. Yeah, because... Uh... Yeah, these Cambodian ones have more of that either uh, orange, like tangerine. It's not like lemon, but it's more mellow, uh, like tangerine, but then sort of peach, peach and strawberry, like soft, elegant fruit. Um, and so with, with like a menthol thing going on as well. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I'd I'd love to get out there traveling again. I'm I'm gonna be landlocked for another few years here just because I've got so many things going on. But yeah, I'd love to. So right now, that's that's kind of like the traveling I get to do. I just grow plants from other parts of the world and kind of vicariously live through the plants. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to get traveling i've done a lot of traveling in like uh in mexico uh all parts of mexico and those those regions but yeah i i haven't even been to uh asia so but it's definitely on the list and i'm but it's going to be kind of cool when i finally get there because now <laughs> i've like experienced all these plants and now it'll be like coming to the motherland uh so anyway, that's exciting. I definitely recommend to like going to Zimbabwe and Mozambique. It's, it's a lot easy. Like, yeah, it's technically uh, a little less kosher than maybe Thailand is to get good stuff. But go to a Rasta cafe and make some friends. You'll go see some girls pretty quick. Nice. Well, sounds cool. It's right now I've committed to this. I'm I'm so locked at my own farm right now. And that's the thing. It's so it's so hard to like travel now just because uh, but you know, it's one of those things, it's one of those little trade-offs. It's like, but if you create, you know, a reality where like every day is like really cool and exciting, uh, then don't have the travel bug quite as much because I'm like thoroughly entertained just hanging out in our own little stoner bubble. Um but, but yeah, and especially now that like COVID's chilling out and everything, I'm just, I'm excited to get traveling, getting that adventure bug again. So. They're, they're trying to resurrect that again. It's election season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
things are so weird. And by the, yeah, have you been following that, that now the word is that cannabis may get rescheduled to schedule three? I saw that. I was going to, I was going to mention that. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. They, it was just a recommendation, so they still have to decide what to do. So yeah, I now's saw your time that. to try and convince your congressman. Yeah, it's kind of a sort of, I guess, well, one thing that's interesting, Schedule 3, though, you are allowed to ship direct to people's houses. Like Amazon right now ships Schedule 3 prescription drugs, but then that would also mean everyone would have to get prescriptions. I don't know. It's uh, So anyway, that's we have a nice bubble here in California. Well, our system's all fucked up. But if we get direct-to-consumer shipping, then we might actually be on the way to actually really freeing this plant, celebrating the farmer, and just freeing it where it really, really ought to be. And and you've you've seen it. You've traveled around a lot. I have friends from Nepal and such, and they're like, yeah, everyone grows cannabis in their backyard. We make salves and put it on our animals. You know, people smoke it. It's just like as common as tomato plants. It's like, it's no big deal. Um, even though it's, uh, it's actually illegal there, but I guess in some of the villages, at least they said, yeah, everyone was growing it. In Thailand, I mean, you see it just, on the side of the road and people's front yards and pots and in front of businesses like it's, it's no big deal it's pretty great yeah is this how's the scene in thailand though just out of care is it have kind of the same corporate green rush weird it's got it's got both um right now they're kind of waiting on the regulations so that always dependent on the the elections uh so now they're They've gone through that growing pain, and then now they're trying to figure out what they want to do. But for now, it's a free-for-all. No, no, there's no tax. So, you know, there, there's a flood of people that grew it thinking they were going to get rich. Their their stuff is just low quality, but there's no um, catch mechanism for it. Where, like, in most markets, you have the resin, like the extract industry and the edible industry and the concentrate industry that can suck up all that lower quality stuff and at least like turn it into something you know what i mean that they can still pay the farmer and there's just none of that so people are just sitting on like huge quantities of low quality crap and uh that's the current state and then there's a very tiny minority of people growing like actually really good stuff that, that's hitting the dispos and then the rest of it's just meh and they're charging like everywhere from 15 to 25 even 35 dollars a gram sometimes in the the touristy areas wow weird <laughs> when i first got there we went to calthon road and a couple other places in bangkok and i think i filmed i took pictures of just about every state's little logo people had just shipped over stuff that had expired or like didn't pass testing or they were sitting on product it just shifted to thailand that oh from the, the united from the u.s yeah 
from the U.S. Yeah, there's still a ton of imported weed. In fact, uh, uh, not even like a month ago or a month and a half ago, I had a kid give me like giant thing of weed and it was like very clearly like one to two year old or, or older backpacked Cali weed. And I was like, this isn't fresh at all. This is old as fuck. I can smell it. Like, come on, man. Like, the fuck? You gotta tell me this isn't Cali weed? Like, Nobody's sitting on weed this quality in Thailand for two years. Like, get the fuck up out of here. I've I've heard through the grapevine that a lot of California weeds ending up in Thailand. Oh, yeah. I, I think more so in the beginning than it is now, because now there's actually some good Thai growers growing fire. But when the, I mean, there's there's still a vacuum there, though, because most of the weed suck, you know? Huh. Weird. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just excited for when things just kind of normalize and just goes back to being just a normal part of our arsenal of what you grow at your family farm out in your backyard and just trade it to people just like you do zucchinis and peaches and tomatoes. And uh, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully we're we're getting there, and uh, psychedelics and everything and plant medicines will become a normal reality again for for everybody. Alrighty, and you guys, you guys can uh, check him out over at Jade Nectar on Instagram and jadenectar.com. J A D E N E C T A R dot com. Uh, just to make sure you guys, if you're listening to the show and uh, just joining us late, uh, that you can find our wonderful guest today. And the quick thing with the website as well. Make sure you get to the right place. Jadenectar.com. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> and by the way, for any people new like new states just coming online there will be uh maybe a choice to be made you know do do you take on investors and try and build your empire and get all this venture capital and buy all this equipment and all this crap or do you want to just be like the local hummus or salsa dude who just serves your local community and you know and you're only in like 15 or 20 health food stores locally but everybody you know loves what you're doing and from what i've witnessed in cannabis is the folks who go big and take on investment or get loans and such i end up I haven't seen a whole lot of really happy stories there, um, but um, I have seen people who just stay small and just want to serve their local community and just create the highest quality, highest vibing product they can, just like the local hummus or salsa dude at the health food stores. Um but for the first few years where everything's really crazy volatile, that that might be a path 
worth looking into and taking and a lot less stress and a lot less toxic lawsuits and a lot less working your ass off and then having predatory investors end up taking over your company because things didn't pencil out the way you thought. So um, anyway, just keep, keep seeing, are you seeing this in other states too? Like the same green rush kind of thing going on? Yeah, I mean, 70% of dispensaries and cannabis companies fail after two years in new markets. That's just kind of the, the way of things. And it mostly has to do with a combination of a lot of people thinking it's a get-which-quick scheme. A lot of people that have no fucking idea how to grow weed or sell weed or market weed or do, like, agriculture at all. Like, I, I met a guy that he had been a mortgage writer and decided he was going to grow weed. So he set up, he took like one of his cattle fields, just like drilled holes for 3000 plants across four acres and then was hand watering and like <laughs> silly shit like that. Like, are you crazy? Like, hey, what like, are you doing? Oh, we like, grew it. Now, where are we going to dry it? I guess we should have thought about that. Where do we dry? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no drying building. Like, like, a basically like a, a lawnmower shed for the cloning room and moms, like, like, just like total. And, and the head grower there, like he, that he hired would wake up at like 10 or 11 AM. And like, and it was like, how are you farming and waking up in the middle of the day? Like it's Oklahoma. It's a hundred and fuck degrees out at this point. Like, you should be done at this point. Like we start at 2 a.m. and we're done at 11 o'clock. So we don't have to work when it's 112. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's a, um, it's interesting, but yeah, I just, I really, I really hope that the moral of this story is that the small, the small sort of don't necessarily want to say hippie because that, don't have to be a hippie but the small just nature loving mindful farmers who are just trying to create not about being big and being fucking whatever empire leader conquester or whatever the heck these crazy megalomaniac dreams are but just having, yeah, if the small farmers can just do their beautiful high vibe and craft and get that out to their local community and then just slowly spread and evolve over time, if, if things work out and get bigger, then great. But man, channel that tortoise energy, take it slow and easy and enjoy the ride because man, uh, for new states coming online, there's a lot of hype, but it it gets ugly real fast when things don't pencil out. So, um, yeah, just hope there's some farmers who out there who just really love the experience of farming. And that seems to be the way the path to go in cannabis world, at least. Anyway. That and diversity of products. Don't have one product. Don't just sell flour and pre-rolls. Sell other things. <laughs> Hey, but my wedding cake's better than everyone else's wedding cake. <laughs> yeah, and stop growing the flavor of the month. Grow something that's good and unique and fire and just sell more. <laughs>
All right. Well, cool. Yeah, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, well, I'll shoot you an invite to. We have another show too, which is like more of a sit around and bullshit show. We'll have to get you on there sometime too on on Wednesdays. Um, well, I hope um, to uh, cross paths with you in person sometime, maybe even in Thailand. Yeah, at some point here in the next uh, the next three to six months, uh, one of my trips back and forth here, uh, I'll definitely have to hit California for a couple yeah. of reasons. So I'll try to meet up. Oh, yeah. If you're in uh, Santa Cruz area, yeah, definitely let me know. Well, I, I always, every time I get out the airport at... Uh, and San Fran, I head over to the Castro Castle and hang out with, with Wayne and all them. So I don't know if you're friends with them, but uh, who's uh, that? Hop, skip, and jump. Wayne Justman is a no, good no. friend of mine. Oh, okay. Yeah, was part of the Dennis Brown group up there and all them. So in San oh, Fran. okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah they're good friends. Um, anyways, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, you guys can find him again at Jade Nectar on Instagram and jadenectar.com. I uh, appreciate all that you're doing for the community with the THCV as well. Cool. Yeah, it's been fun. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully we find some people who can really benefit from it. That's that's the exciting stuff. So anyway, all right. Should we click the red X in the corner of our screens? Oh, here, oh, no, and one second here. The, uh, Wes, how do you people find you if they want to reach out to you? Oh man, uh, best way is Instagram. Everyone knows how to get me on uh, on uh, on Instagram. That's good, man. Uh, I don't need to run. I think that's awesome. Thank you, though. It was awesome. It was awesome having you here, Jade. Uh, it's cool talking to you. I really enjoyed you. Your enthusiasm about the plant. Yeah, you can tell you're, you're a true lover and a keeper of the plant. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, it's cool hanging out with you guys. And uh, you guys can find me at Potent Ponics and all the things. You can find this episode in audio format as well on all the platforms. Uh, probably tomorrow when I finish this uploading. Uh, the show should be back more to the normal weekly schedule. Uh, my life is settling down a little bit. Uh, we, we might have one week off when I go grab my dogs. Um, I got to go travel for that couple of days. But uh, other than that, it should be uh, back to normal schedule. We have some cool guests lined up for you guys. So, uh, yeah, expect some more awesome content. Thanks, everybody. And um, 